All right, you guys can have a seat. Okay. Thank you, Abby, for leading us in those songs. Uh, it's really beautiful just to hear nothing but voices in piano. It's, it's really, really pretty. And so that was a special moment um, that we got to share. I, I don't ever teach with a microphone in my hand. So if I look uncomfortable, it's because I am. Um, <laughs> so uh, just bear with me as we do this. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we move any further um, in our service. Let's commit this morning to him and then we'll dive into our text this morning. So let's pray. God, I'm grateful, Lord, for uh, just for you um, and for how faithful you are. I'm in the midst of, of hardships and, and uncertainty. Um, you are faithful and you're steadfast. Um, God, you're so constant. And so I'm just thankful, Lord, for um, just who you are. And uh, God, I just pray now that you would be with us as we, uh, as we dive into your word, as we um, continue to, to, to worship you um, this morning. I pray that you would teach us something, um, that you would speak to us, um, that you would clear our hearts and clear our minds, that you would um, help us to set aside the, the stressful, um, anxious um, thoughts that are just gripping uh, most of us uh, right now just because of our circumstances. God, we know that you supersede all circumstances, that you're better um, and that you know what's on the other side. So help us to trust you um, in that. But be with us now as we dive into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So thank you guys again for being here. Um, I'm really grateful this morning to have the opportunity to share uh, what the Lord has laid on my heart um, and what he's been teaching me through our passage this morning. Uh, Pastor Brett and Pastor Adam, they are both out of town. And so they've missed all the fun that we've been able to have, um, you know, with our community uh, uh, but in all seriousness, you know, just be praying for them and their travels back as they come back. Um, I'm sure that their homes are in some kind of condition, so they'll come back to that. Um, but just be praying for them and their travels. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I'm going to talk about Mark 6, 45 through 52. That's going to be our passage for today. Um, I have to remember that we don't have slides behind me, so I got to make sure I say things correctly. <laughs> uh, but I've titled this Calloused Hearts, and you might have guessed why, because that's what our passage is about. Pastor Adam kind of alluded to that for us last week. Um, but before we kind of read our text, um, I remembered back when I was in high school, um, I wanted to learn how to play the guitar. I would sit at my computer with my guitar, and I would listen to songs, and I'd be looking up tabs and chord charts, and I would try to play along uh, with these songs. But it was really hard because my fingertips would start to hurt. Uh, and if you play guitar, if you play instruments, you know that it takes some time to develop some calluses on your fingertips. But when you first start out, it hurts. Uh, it's painful. You can't do it for a long time. Um, and everyone that I knew that played guitar told me that it would just take time and consistency and that I would eventually develop these calluses on my fingertips. And sure enough, now I have them. My kids, whenever I rub my kids' backs, they don't like it because it kind of hurts them. It scratches and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I have them now. And it's the same with like, uh, like weightlifting. When you first grab onto a, like a really nice barbell that has sharp knurling, and that's the grippy part on a bar, um, it hurts your hands because it's aggressive. Um, but with repetition, you kind of build up calluses on your hands that eventually cause what was once sensitive skin to become numb to that kind of stuff. Right? And so in those contexts, those are a good thing um, to have these calluses form. They help you do what you're wanting to do. But when you start taking that process and the numbing effects um, from those and they start impacting areas of your life um, that should still be sensitive, well, then we have a problem because now you're callousing parts of yourself that should not be calloused. 
right? And so you see this with like movies and with video games and where there's a repetitive viewing of things that should cause you to maybe look away or to even grimace like gore or violence or even nudity. Um, But those things after a while, they don't phase you the same way they used to. They don't cause you uh, to look away anymore because we've become numbed. We've become numb to them. Um, And that in that context is not so good, right? That calloused effect is not so good there. So like I said, last week, Pastor Adam, he covered for us the character of Christ and he gave us three main points that he pulled from last week's passages or passage. He said uh, that Jesus has layers to his goodness. His provision is completely satisfying and his grace is overwhelming. And so in the feeding of the 5,000, That had all of that on display, right? What an impressive miracle. Yet his disciples who were along with him and were even tasked with helping him, they completely missed it. And Pastor Adam gave us a glimpse of what we're going to be covering this morning. And so I'm going to read for us um, our passage this morning um, from Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45 through 52. And if you could stand for the reading of God's word this morning... um, even though we're in the dark and you can get out your flashlights or do what you need to do, um, but I'm going to be reading from my phone so I can see it. So it says this, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, or Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land. He saw them straining at the oars, Because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass them by. When when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. And so I just want to briefly recap what's taken place in our passage. What's going on here? So Jesus, he had just fed a multitude of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then he immediately sends his disciples on ahead of him. So he has them get in the boat and head towards Bethsaida. Meanwhile, he dismisses the crowd, which I'm sure was not an easy task because there's thousands upon thousands of people there. So Jesus is doing that by himself, getting rid of all the people, not getting rid of them, but telling them to go home. And then it tells us that he went up on a mountainside to pray. And again, we see Jesus who had just poured himself out and who is perhaps a little exhausted from this whole interaction with all of these people. Understandably, what he's not doing is he's not going to sleep. He's not doing anything other than retreating back to the quiet place again. And so how consistent is his devotion to the Father? And what an example of what right priorities look like. And if you've been watching him closely, as we've gone through Mark so far, you've noticed that this is something that he does frequently. Right? That Pastor Brett taught on this a few weeks ago, but Jesus is consistently retreating to the quiet place, a place of solitude and silence where he spends precious time with the Father. And so we have a little time skip in our passage, and it says that it's well into the night, and Jesus is alone on land, and the disciples are in the boat in the middle of the sea. And this is an important detail that Mark gives us because he wants us 
Uh, He wants to set up what he's about to say next. And so he was making sure it was clear just so everybody knew that Jesus wasn't alone. He was alone, separated from the group on land, and they were in the water. Right? He was not with them. And so he sees them straining at the oars, and it's almost like he has like the vision of like an eagle. He's on the he's on the shore, and he can just zoom in and see that they're having a hard time. Right? He sees them. And so the wind is heavy and the water is rough, and they're getting tired, and maybe they're starting to feel like they're in yet again another hopeless situation. And then a little more time passes, and now it's very early in the morning, he tells us. And he makes his way out to them, walking on the water. And then we're told that he intends to pass them by, which is a really interesting line. So I wanted to pause there and just ask, why would he do that? Why would he intend to pass them by? So in the English, the phrase wanted to pass them by, it means one thing. But in the Greek, to the original readers, it carried a special significance, and it signals a rare but powerful revelation of God. And so if you think back to like Mount Sinai, the Lord passed by Moses right, in order to reveal His name and His compassion. And then again at Mount Horeb, the Lord revealed His presence to Elijah in passing by him. And so when God would pass by someone, it meant that He was showing up to reveal Himself to them. And so I believe that's what He was doing there, that He was simply revealing His presence displaying His divine power. And they should have recognized Him and felt peace, but instead, they were terrified. They couldn't see clearly, and they thought He was a ghost. But then we see Jesus, He encourages them. He tells them not to fear. He says, it's me. And then He gets into the boat, and the winds die down, and the water is calm. And so this is that same encounter that we read about where Peter says, if it's really you, then call me out onto the water. And then Peter famously gets out of the boat, fixes his eyes on Jesus, and he walks on the water, only to be overwhelmed by the wind and the storms, take his eyes off Jesus, and then he begins to sink, right? But Mark doesn't include that section or that that account in his his, uh, telling of this story. Now, whether or not that was an intentional omission for a specific purpose, it's unclear. But I know that by focusing on the text at hand with Mark and with what Mark has given us, we're able to gain kind of a different perspective and a little different understanding. Because where one story sends us to the hardness of life and the storms that cause us to take our eyes off Jesus, this one shows us a not so pleasant side of our own hearts regardless of the storms. And so the bigger issue here is not that they took their eyes off Jesus, it's that they didn't even recognize him in the first place. And so it says that after Jesus got into the boat, that they were astounded. And Pastor Adam asked this last week, but why were they astounded? Up to this point, they've witnessed so much from the power of Jesus, right? They literally, no less than 24 hours prior, had helped Jesus feed those multitudes of people, But it tells us that they were astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. So it's interesting why Mark would reference the 5,000 and the loaves and how they didn't understand it. What did the loaves teach them that they failed to learn? Well, I think it was who Jesus was, who he is, who he really is, and what his purpose as the Messiah actually is. Because they had a biased view of the Messiah from their upbringing of what he was supposed to be. And so they didn't see things for the way they actually were. 
Now, what, it, or what does it mean that their hearts were hardened? And like Pastor Adam explained to us, this is their inner self. The heart references that center of you. Not just your feelings, right? But who you are at your core. And so what we read here is that that inner person can become hardened and calloused. And if you remember how calluses are formed, it's that repetitive use of over and over again until the skin dies and hardens. And as a result, they cause you to lose feeling. And so when people encounter Jesus over and over again and yet leave unchanged or unmoved by Him, or they refuse to respond to Him, or they have a preconceived idea or belief that they refuse to let go of um, that has conflicted with what Jesus really has called them to, over time that friction has an effect. Right? You can't keep having that same friction over and over again without having any effects by it. It's the, that repetition of ignoring truth that causes us to lose our sense of feeling. And so I think about how uh, my family, we took a vacation to Florida recently, and I used to say that I loved going to the beach, and that I love how beautiful it is, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when you spend time away from it, it is that. You do love it, and you think how beautiful. But then when you're there for a number of days, that, that kind of awe and wonder fades a little bit because you've seen it over and over again. Now, you know, it's kind of like when you go to the mountains and you see the mountains and you're like, wow, these are so big, it's so beautiful. But then if you live there and you talk to local people, they're like, yeah, they're just, they're there all the time. We don't even think about them. We don't even see them, you know? And that's what happens because they're so used to it. They no longer are captive by, uh, captivated by it because they're just a part of like the mundane, monotonous daily grind of life. And so that eventually dulls us to the beauty of what's right in front of us. And so we see that with Christians all the time, and I see it in myself too, how the things of the Lord that once stirred my affection, my praise, and my worship from within me now are just kind of normal and really inspire that same feeling. But those things about the Lord that did cause me to have those moments, they haven't changed. He is still the same, and He's still worthy of the same praise and adoration and worship. I've changed. He hasn't. I did. Right? And so there are times where we grow in our faith and mature spiritually that we begin to see things differently, and that isn't a bad thing, but we should never lose the awe and wonder of our Lord. It should never stop amazing us. But what we see here from the disciples is a little bit different than just being amazed at how awesome Jesus is. They were astounded because they just didn't see Jesus for who he is. It wasn't a sign of confirmation for them. They weren't like, wow, he really is God. They were like, whoa, who is this guy? What's going on? How did he do that? Right? It was, it was like um, amazed confusion. What in the world is happening? And so this passage reveals some things about us that I want to dive into, but it also reveals and reminds us of some key things about Jesus that I want to cover first. So what I see of Jesus here in this passage isn't anything new. It's not groundbreaking. And in fact, a lot of it is really basic. Um, but I think it's good for us to go back to the basics a lot of times. But just because it's basic doesn't mean it's less important, right? These could be things that we've just become accustomed to with him, right? But the first thing that I want to point out is that Jesus is attentive. He is attentive, right? He saw them in the middle of the sea while he was on the shore. He saw them struggling. He is the one who sent them. And so he is going to make sure they get to where he sent them, right? In the same way, he sees you. He sees us. He's quite aware of our lives and what we're going through. He is the one who is sending us 
and is going to watch us the entire time, we have to realize that we're never out of his sight. We're never just alone and out of his view. We can't hide ourselves from him, and he's not looking away from us. Right? And so Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. And that same truth is echoed in 2 Chronicles 16.9 when it says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. So remember several weeks ago when we covered Jairus and his daughter who was dying and then the unclean woman who had touched him. He was fully aware of both situations, even though we, with our limited understanding, feel as though he might be unaware or even ignoring us, we have to remember the truth of who he is and that he is not ignoring us. And I would say that even those times where we feel that way are almost a necessary part of our walk in learning to follow Jesus, because we will experience those moments. I'm reminded of a story in the Bible where Jesus' friend, Lazarus, had fallen ill and his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent for Jesus to come and heal him. And Jesus, he receives this news, and there's a hint, he already knew about it, right? But he receives this news and he decides to wait for two two days before going to Lazarus. So you would think if this is your friend, a close friend, and you've received news that your friend is dying and he needs your help, you would leave in an instant to go get him, to go help him. But Jesus decides to wait two days. Now, in those two days, as Lazarus' condition worsens, do you think that Mary and Martha weren't like freaking out about it? I'm sure they were. I'm sure it was stressful for them to sin for Jesus and for him to not to be coming. I'm sure they were a little worried about that. So, I think they were wondering where he was and even if he maybe cared. I don't think they were that cynical. But meanwhile, Lazarus, what happens in that waiting? Lazarus dies. And when Jesus arrives, Martha runs out to him and says, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. So they trusted him, but they also didn't understand how aware he was of everything. And so then you fast forward that story a little bit. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, teaching all the while about who he truly is. Right in that story really demonstrates a lot for us. And it kind of leads into my next point about Jesus. And this is one that we've been saying a lot recently, is that he's just not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. Now, I don't want you to mistake this for like a laziness or like a, a, a lackadaisical attitude. It's not that. He's just not in a hurry. His lack of hurry doesn't equate to him not taking things seri- seriously. He just moves intentionally. Right? He moves intentionally. He isn't rushing around overwhelmed by everything that's been going on. Now, could you imagine yourself in last week's situation being responsible for feeding 5,000 men and their families? If it were me, I'd be running around frantic. I wouldn't know how to do it. I wouldn't know where to start. I'd be losing my mind. Um, I think some of us probably felt that way this weekend, where we're out of power. We're without everything that we are used to. We're running around like crazy. What are we going to do? Right? We have those feelings all the time. Pacing back and forth, moving around, thinking, how is this going to work? He's never been bothered to the point of rushing around for anything. (laughs) Jesus hasn't, right? I don't know if you've noticed, but our passage tells us plainly, he came walking towards them on the water. And when they saw him walking on the sea, so he wasn't making a mad dash, right? He wasn't in a hurry thinking, oh my goodness, I better get there as fast as possible because they really just need me. He wasn't doing that, right? No, he walked. 
And so similarly to the story of Lazarus, he waited two more days. Put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples who were with him when they received that news that Lazarus was dying. I'm sure they were kind of fidgeting, like, okay, did you hear that your friend's dying? Do we need to go? And, and he says they're going to wait. And so you're just probably standing there like, I need to go. We need to leave Jesus. But, you know, so they're waiting with him, anxious, but not Jesus. So Jesus was what we like to call a non-anxious presence. People who are in a hurry usually are overflowing with like this anxious, hurried presence. And if you've been around them or maybe you've been one of them, you know the feeling, right? The feeling that you get when you're really maybe trying to get out of a conversation, but you just can't. And so inside you're like, ah, I need to get out of here. <laughs> you ever had that feeling? That's that anxious presence of just, I got to go. I got something to do. Um, you don't have time for anybody because I have to leave. But he doesn't have that. Jesus doesn't have that. So you want to know why Jesus isn't rushing around? Well, it's because he's in control. That's the third point about him, is that he's in control. Right? He's attentive. He's not in a hurry because he's in control. Did you notice how the winds and the waves died down once he entered the boat? It all stopped. Now, you could, kind of, you could get lost in the weeds of did he cause the storm and did he intend for all of this to happen? Probably. Maybe. But nothing with him is unintentional. I don't know if you caught this at the start, but Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him. That was intentional. Right? He insisted on, he forced them. You think after that miracle, they were ready to leave his side? Probably not. His disciples were probably like, you want me to go ahead of you without you? Are you crazy? <laughs> and he made them go. And then he went off by himself. Uh-oh, I gotta find my space. Okay. <laughs> Okay, now, where is it? Oh, I thought I had it. <laughs> okay, there it is. There's purpose in his movement, right? And so he was a rabbi, and these were his apprentices, right? And these, this was a teaching moment for them. But it was one that clearly was a hard lesson to learn. The lesson was revealing the hardness that was still present in his disciples' hearts. Now, this doesn't mean that his disciples were evil, that they were against him or opposed to him. It doesn't mean that they were just awful, good-for-nothing failures. But it did mean that they still needed some time and some practice at this, who is, this whole like, uh, apprenticeship thing for Jesus. They had seen a lot, they had believed a lot, and they had still had some stubbornness inside of their hearts. That callous skin was still thick in places. And so that reveals some things about us. What about us? What does this reveal about us? And you might be thinking, what, Brandon? Are you going to say that we all have calloused hearts? Yes, I am saying that. We have calloused hearts. Now, I'm not saying that it's just overwhelming, but I think we all do to a degree. I think we all have experienced this at times, and even now. I think this passage shows us how you could be present with the Lord, but still inattentive, right? Or in a hurry, or fighting for control. And that leads me to the first point of, uh, of what it reveals about us. The opposite of what Jesus is, is that we are inattentive. We see, but we don't see clearly. And I love that we can look back and how I can look back and see how God was moving. You always hear like hindsight is twenty twenty. Like you get to look back and you can see how God was present, how he was faithful, how he was showing up in ways that you couldn't see at the time. And that's really good. And I also know that there are seasons where... Um, we're really looking around for him and we feel like we can't see him. 
And so I would just say that if that's you, uh, I don't want you to think that I'm saying your feelings are invalid or that you just aren't trying to see him. What I'm saying is that I would love to have more instances in my life where I am seeing him in the moment. And I'm not always having to look back and see him, which I think it's good that we can look back and see him, but I would like to experience some stress and maybe chaos in my life where I'm still aware of him and not frantically losing my mind because I've lost sight of him. Do you see what I'm saying? And so I want to be more attentive to him, not just when it's good, but also when it's hard and when it's inconvenient and when I feel like I have to strain to see him. So I want to make sure that I'm so attentive to him and his presence that I don't have to look back and see him clearly because I already see him in the present. And I think that's something that's been helping me in this understanding that I tend to look for him in the wrong ways when things are going like uh, not the way that I want. So I don't recognize him until he's already cleared the storm away, storm away. And then I'm like, oh, there you were. When really he's been walking along with me the entire time. He's had his eyes on me the entire time. He was watching me entirely. But what I've had to do in order to see him more clearly was intentionally watch and listen. But that's really hard to do when we're in a hurry. So in the same way that Jesus is not in a hurry, we are in a hurry. We live in a hurried culture. Everything we know is in a hurry. And so let's face it, if we want to see God move in our lives, but we want it like yesterday, right? Like, I want to experience the presence of Jesus, but I want it now. And I want to experience his blessings, but I want them now. We're in a hurry. We even put him in a hurry for our lives. And that's the second point, that we're in a hurry. So I know we talk about this weaving Jesus into the fabric of our lives, right? We really need to kind of, I think, reword that phrase because Jesus isn't just something that we work into the fabric of ourselves. He is the fabric of our lives, right? There's no really working him into our life. It's us being grafted into his, right? Like he is our life. We've become so fast paced. And then once we hit a wall, then it's like, oh man, we're tired and we're worn out. We've been rowing forever. I just want to make it to the other side of this lake. This is taking too long. Through all the things that we've got going on, we just fail to recognize Jesus. I think we're moving so fast that we miss him even though he's right there. But that constant missing him is not without effect, like we were talking about earlier. Like we're so preoccupied that we can't look away for a moment. And this is the part where Peter's interaction kind of fits our story. For a moment, he fixed his eyes on Christ, and it was like the peace in the storm, like the eye of a hurricane in that moment, right? He fixed his eyes on Jesus, and then there was peace, and he was able to walk. But it didn't last, right? Then he looked away, and it's hard because at the end of the day, when we really want to be the one in control of how God moves in our lives, and that's the third thing, is that we're fighting for control. He had to make them go on without him. If it were up to them, they would have just stayed with Jesus. And I don't blame them for that. If it were up to me, I wouldn't have anything to do. Or, or let me see. If it were up to me, I wouldn't have had anything um, to do with leaving him, right? I, would, uh, I wouldn't do anything that I didn't want to do, honestly. But we know that life isn't like that. And we want control because we feel like we can do what's best for us. We feel like when life happens and in in, in circumstances are just out of our control, we fight really hard to take control of them. We do what we have to do. We kind of, you know, put our boots on and get to work. Um, and when the rains um, 
like we try to grip the reins really tightly and steer for ourselves away from trouble. But what we see is like with the disciples who I'm sure in this place of, of being in a boat and in this same lake that they've been in, this, this sea, um, they have been there so many times. They were fishermen. This was a comfortable place for them. They knew exactly how to operate um, in hard conditions on the water. So they were probably fighting for control. I'm sure they felt in control at the onset of setting sail, but then found out that it didn't matter how comfortable or how confident or how competent they were as individuals in the storm. Sometimes those storms come and they don't care who you are or what you know or what you can do. You're not in control. No matter how hard you fight against the, the oars or how tight you make the reins or whatever you do, sometimes you're just not in control. There's nothing you can do about it. So, the disciples had been rowing and fighting the wind and water. They've done this hundreds of times. Like I said, they were very familiar with this body of water. We don't have it recorded for us, but I'm sure that they had a sense of calm trust in Jesus um, at the onset. And then maybe not so much when they were fearing for their lives. And so we, like them, are fearful when we feel like things are out of control. But instead of that willful surrender, we find ourselves in a tug of war with Jesus. Only we're the only ones fighting. And so when he displays for us who he is, we fail to see it, and then we run from him in fear. So like I said before, the disciples, they're not bad guys. They're not out to purposely not believe. They just can't see it. They had seen so much, but there was still a part of them that was stubbornly clinging to what they knew or what they thought they knew. And so that question of why didn't they recognize him? Why was it so astounding and shocking to them? Well, it was because their hearts were hardened, like it tells us. Why don't we recognize him? Maybe is a better question. Well, maybe because we are a little calloused on some levels too. I mean, if we want God to be attentive to us without us being attentive to him, if we want God to hurry up and we want to place expectations on him that we have no right to place on him, and then we want him to bend his will to our will, what a recipe for a calloused heart. How could we expect to see him for who he is when we are trying, all we're trying to do is see him for who we want him to be? And that's the same bias that the disciples had in that moment. They wanted him to be the Messiah they had previously been taught of, so they failed to see him for who he truly was. And if that's what we call discipleship, then with Christ, then we're sorely mistaken, right? Because there's a lot of friction there in that, in that place. Hard and calloused hearts are sure to come from it because Jesus doesn't operate in that way, right? So what can we do to kind of fight this? And I think... It's pretty clear, and Pastor Brett taught us about this a couple weeks ago, but what we need to do is we need to slow down. And that sounds really simple and really easy. But try it. It's really hard. It's really hard to intentionally slow down. When have you ever done anything worth doing that had not taken time? Athletes don't wake up as masters of what they do. It took time. I remember last year when my oldest son, Luca, who is 10, uh, he was playing in a rec basketball league. And so we would practice at home and he would be so frustrated that he couldn't just do what he wanted to do. He, he just couldn't make his body <laughs> perform the way he wanted it to perform. And so I would be out there with him and I would tell him to watch me. I was like, watch me do this. Watch me do this. And he would watch for like half a second, his short little attention span, and he'd be like, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. And he would try it and he'd fail again and again. And he'd be so frustrated that he couldn't get it. 
Right, but he wouldn't really pay attention. He was, so, he was moving so fast that he couldn't really even see what I was showing him. He couldn't stop for long enough to actually understand what I was trying to teach him because he was so anxious about just being good at it. But it takes time. And after some weeks of this, he eventually slowed down and was able to learn some things. And so you see how we do that with Jesus. We're moving so fast, but if we would just slow down and take our time with Jesus we would begin to see him clearly and see what he's teaching us clearly. And so in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, we get a glimpse of what Jesus says about this kind of scenario. And so this is what it says in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. While they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. So we see Martha, she's distracted by her many tasks. She feels that anxious feeling of, oh man, I've got to get all of this stuff done. Worry, 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 work, work, work. And sometimes you just need to sit at Jesus' feet. Force yourself to pause and to simply be with Jesus. Stop thinking about the things you're worried about. Stop trying to figure out how you're going to accomplish X, Y, Z and just be. Those things will be there later. They're not going anywhere. And maybe they're like time-sensitive things that you're just like, I got to get this thing done before this date or I'm going to really lose my mind. Like, like even pause there and just sit before the Lord. One thing, he says, is necessary. And that one thing was what Mary had chosen to do was, was to sit before the Lord and listen. So I think that's the hardest part is, is that for most of us, slowing down feels like we're giving up. Like we're just stopping what we're doing. We're giving up. It feels like we're letting someone somewhere down or maybe ourselves. It's so counter to what our experience in life is like. Our hearts have been callous to the presence of Jesus. And so we need to get that part of ourselves back. We need those calluses to soften. And as you spend time with him, that will happen. You all have different rhythms of your life, right? You all are in different seasons. We all are. But Jesus is the one constant out of everything that you have uh, given your life to. He is the one most worthy. But our practices and the way that we spend our time, it says otherwise. It says that those things are more worthy of it, of our time and our attention. So what would it look like for you to remove just one thing in your life to free you up to spend time with Jesus, to wake up a bit earlier, to spend some time in complete quiet and stillness before him, to practice doing what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, taking captive every thought and making them obedient to Christ. What does that look like to let Christ take captive every single thought? I feel like you have to pause in order to surrender those thoughts to him, right? So to do this is uncomfortable at the start. You will feel how loud and distracted your mind is, your inner self. You will feel the callous part of you arise. Thoughts of, I need to make this time quick. Oh, I have to give this time to the Lord. I really don't want to do this, but I guess I have to. You'll feel those parts of you come out. And it's not pretty. And you'll recognize how hard it is for you to sit three minutes with the Lord in complete silence. 
You'll, you'll feel the anxiousness arise in you, like, I got to do something else. Why do we have to do that? And so what we have to do is we have to practice. That's where the practice comes into play, when we practice the spiritual disciplines. Because as those thoughts come, we have to practice shoving them out <laughs> and centering ourselves on the Lord. Last week, I was struggling to have this time. The press of being on vacation and then getting back to work was, was making me get back into that hurried pace of just, okay, I've got this thing to catch up on. I've got this thing to catch up on. I really need to make sure I got this done. And so I found, my, I found myself skipping on my times with the Lord because I had things to do, right? And I felt that deeply. I felt that deeply. It was really hard to get back into that place. But as I shoved those loud voices out, I had a thought come to me that I believe was from him. And it was a simple thought. I was spending time with the Lord in quiet. I was shoving those thoughts out. And all I was reminded of was this. I felt like he told me it. He said, I or this was me. I exist for you, not you for me. So God exists. I exist for God. He doesn't exist for me. Does that make sense? That's all I kept thinking over and over and over and over again as I kept thinking of my to-do list and everything I had to do. I exist for him, not him for me. And man, that just wrecked my week because <laughs> I was like, I'm trying to make him fit into my schedule. I'm trying to make him fit in the box that I've placed in him. I'm trying to have him bless all my efforts. And I exist for him, not him for me. It really shook me for a moment, right? It was simple, but I needed that reminder. And meaning Brandon, I exist for, Brandon exists for God. I am his. I'm to be used for his purpose and his glory. He, God, does not exist for me. He is not to be used for my purposes or to produce my glory, right? I don't know if I would have recognized that um, as him several weeks ago, or if I would have just thought that that was a cool thought that I had and taken credit for it. But I had to sit in the silence and just listen for his voice, right? And so this is just one small discipline to kind of put into place. But my challenge for you all is to just commit to the Lord to spending time with him. And don't make it a time of preparing for others. Don't make it a time of learning and receiving knowledge, but just as a time of being with him thinking about who he is, what he's doing in and around you. Use it as a time to open your eyes to see so you don't miss it. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're struggling with all of this, I just want you to ask yourself, like, do you recognize him? Do you recognize his presence? Are you sensitive to it? Or has his presence felt more like a ghost that that's like wisp on by, leaving you stuck in the chaos of life? And if I could offer one last encouragement from this passage, regardless of the disciples' failure to recognize him, I want you to catch this, is that Jesus still got in the boat. He still got in the boat. He's so long-suffering. He's so patient. He has grace upon grace for us. He wants and desires for us to see him. He wants that for us. He wants you to grow and mature in your walk with Him. He wants you to become more like Him. He wants you uh, to live the life to the full that He has for you. He loves you and He cares for you. He will not abandon you. He sees you and He sees uh, all of you. And He is with you, right? Always. And when you fail, He doesn't distance Himself from you. We do that, but He does not. He steps in. And so let Let's lift up our heads out of our preoccupied, hurried, distractive lives and see him for where he is. And where he is is right next to you, right in front of you. His presence is with you.
And so lastly, if you're here, and maybe you've never believed in Jesus, meaning you've, you've heard all of this, but you're in a place of, of unbelief still. You've seen and heard of who Jesus is and, of what he, and what he has done, but up to this point, the hardness of your heart has seemed impenetrable. I just want to remind you that the offer of Jesus is still available, that you can have this deep and abiding relationship with him. You can have peace for your soul that will guard your heart and guard your mind in him. And you can have the hope of eternity in heaven because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross where he died to pay the price for my sin and for your sin so that you could know him, so that you could be forgiven and set free from the chains of sin and death. That is available to you. So today can be your day of salvation and the beginning of seeing Jesus with eyes wide open for the first time. You can start your walk with him. Or maybe today is just the first time that you've recognized Jesus really for who he is. All you have to do is simply believe and surrender, right? Romans 10, 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. So don't let today pass by without you doing that. And so to, to, today, we're going to spend some time with Jesus now. And, and so what I want us to do is practice what I was talking about. Practice being with him here now. And you can use this time to confess and tell him that you need help in this area, that this is awkward and uncomfortable for you. But you know you need to spend time with him. Maybe you need to ask him to help you shift your life around to spend more quality time with him. Confess to having a calloused heart towards him at times and ask him to soften it. Or maybe just sit in complete silence before him and just listen. If you choose to sit in complete silence before him and just listen, you're going to hear the loudness of your inner self. You're going to hear the loudness of your distracted thoughts. My challenge to you is to shove those things out, to center yourself on him. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. Um, and I had a thought about this moment, if we were going to be in complete silence or not when we did this, and the Lord made the decision for me because we have no power. We're not going to run any sound. I guess Abby could play something, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to sit and let it be uncomfortable. It's hot. We're sweaty. It's going to be awkward, but we're going to be in complete silence before the Lord. And we're just going to receive from him. But I want to challenge you to do that with him for a couple moments. And lastly, if you've never done so, use this time to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. Tell him that you believe in him and he will be faithful to save you. So let's spend some time with him now and then I'll close us um, in prayer and then we'll sing one last hymn. Okay, let's, let's do that.
Father, I'm grateful, Lord, for your steadfast um, character, um, God, your presence. God, I pray that um, that you would just forgive uh, me for just uh, being so quick to pass by you, um, being so quick to to forget about you, to fail to recognize you, to fail to spend time with you. Um, Thankful that you're so patient, you're so gracious. God, I pray that you would help all of us to slow down, um, to become uh, sensitive yet again to your, your, your presence, um, the way that you're moving. Um, God, I'm just grateful, Lord, um, for opportunities like this where we can pause and sit before you and to acknowledge you and your goodness and your faithfulness. God, I pray for all of us that you would just give us what we need in this, uh, in this uh, practice of pursuing you and practicing your, um, just experiencing your presence, um, being mindful of who you are, uh, God, would you help us um, to have eyes to see you, um, help us to, um, to see beyond our distractions, help us to get rid of those things. Would you identify areas of our lives that need um, refined, um, that need um, reorganized, or whatever they need, Lord, um, to help us to put into place um, uh, this spiritual discipline. God, help us to practice it. I pray for anybody in this room who's just been in the, in the depths of struggle, Lord, um, and they feel like you're far away. Um, God, would you use this morning as a, as a bright reminder, a flashing light um, of just who you are, that you are not far away, that you are very present, and that you are at work, um, that you have not abandoned them, that you are right there with them. And God, we're grateful for your graciousness that you still get into the boat. Um, that you still, um, in our lack of understanding, in our lack of, uh, of recognition, in our lack of surrender to you, you still choose to be with us. You got into the boat. And so I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to remember that. And then for anybody who's in this room, um, who's given their life to you for the first time, I pray that you would um, fill them with a deep joy of your spirit. Um, would you help us come alongside them as a family um, and, to, and to help walk um, them through this new life with you? Um, would you cause them to tell one of us about it so we could celebrate with them? Um, but God, we're just grateful, Lord, for your presence and how steadfast and true it is. Um, and we're grateful, Lord, for this morning. I pray that you'd be with us as uh, we worship you one last time um, and then help us go um, in the power of your presence this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, let's worship the Lord one last time together.